G'day everybody and welcome back to The Extras. My name is Sam. And my name is James. Welcome James. Great to have you here on The Extras. It's been a little while since we've had uh, had uh, James Chen on on, uh, on the show and it's great to have you here. Jack Day's away on some holidays and so uh, we're here. We're discussing Romans chapter 11 which you were taking us through, uh, or at least some of our congregations on, on Sunday. Um, just as we come to it all, um, can you just remind us, James, where, where were we in God's Word on Sunday? What, what was it all about? Yeah, we were in Romans 11, verses 11 to 24. Uh, Jack took and uh, preached in a number of congregations. I preached in a number as well. Um, but this is a remarkable passage mm. uh, that is filled with hope. Uh, the passage starts with asking, uh, did the Jews stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Mm. And uh, in this passage, Paul uh, showed us that God has a, has a plan in terms of what will happen with Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians into the future. Talking about branches and those who will return, including a warning about considering the kindness and sternness of God. And so it was just a, a rich passage with lots of imagery, some divine horticulture yeah. and baking. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. it was a joy to bring it to, to the people of St. Paul's. Yeah, thanks, James. I, I love that image um, of, of, of grafting. And I have to admit, I am not... A, are you much of a gardener? I'm not I'm a huge not. gardener. <laughs> Did you know much about grafting? Like, was that a thing that you were across before getting into this passage? I, I, I was, not mm. because I have personally done a lot of it, but because of my agricultural education when ah, I was in high James school. James agricultural high that's school. It. So, you know, I knew about the T-cut grafts and the cleft grafts, and I think that's a, as much grafting as I know. There you go. <laughs> I was like, wow, crazy. This is the way plants work. And then I realized that we actually have in our front yard oh, yeah. some, some roses that are grafted onto like a, like a trunk of something else. There you and go. So apparently this is a thing you do with roses too yes. in order to keep the... Because they, they're quite thorny and at the bottom. So you stick them on, you graft them into something else so that they've got a nice non-thorny trunk and there then you you've go. just got the flowers coming off the, <laughs> the top. No, there you go. We've got some. That's so, it. Nice. Grafting. I am not the gardener. And, uh, anyway, <laughs> Neither am I. Let's go. Uh, we've got a bunch of questions today, James, yeah, um, yeah. which are fantastic. We're going to do our best to kind of work through them. It would be really helpful as you're listening along. You might like to have Romans 11. We've got a couple of questions, at least here at the start, that are dealing with particular verses. And so if you want to follow along in your Bible, that would be excellent. And uh, the first question we've got for you, James, is uh, from chapter 11, verse 12, where Paul speaks about um, greater riches... Um, that will come about when Israel uh, return back to the Lord. And somebody's asked, what what are those greater riches in verse 12? Yeah, great question. So in verse 12, we see Paul talking about how transgressions means riches for the world. And I think the riches, the, the first riches is talking about salvation to the Gentiles. But then he moves in the second half to talk about how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring. And so I think what he's talking about here is in God's plans and purposes, mm. the full inclusion of the the Jewish people of Israel will mean abundant blessing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it is a bit of a rhetorical device here where he's saying, just think that the sin, that the, the stumbling of the Jewish people of Israel led to salvation to the world, salvation to the Gentiles. What a just, blessing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And just think how much greater, how much how awesome it's going to be when the full number of yeah. Jews come into a God's kingdom. Yeah, if God can bring about something awesome through their disobedience, how much more an awesome thing can he bring about through their repentance and faith? Yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. So in terms of the exact content of that, I'd yeah. say uh, 
come along this Sunday yeah. as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, looking forward. We're wrapping up our series this Sunday. I'm looking forward to uh, preaching alongside Rod Earnshaw on on the final passage in uh, in Romans 11. All right, let's keep moving along. Um, the next question is about the the uh, olive tree um, and the grafting we we're just talking about. Uh, somebody said, my question is, what benefit is there from being grafted into the tree? It seems it cannot be salvation because branches have been broken off, assuming they don't repent. So, for example, is inclusion uh, is it inclusion in a notional grouping of God's people? Is it a case of the metaphor having limitations? How do we get answers from the passage? <laughs> help me, James. <laughs> well, um, I'll attempt to help. Um, I think the key is to first understand that um, Paul here really wants them to be in this tree. He does. He wants the branches to be in the tree. Mm. And I think uh, in verse 16, he talks about the root being holy, uh, a foundation of this tree being holy. And so what might this root be? Well, uh, in my sermon on Sunday, I put forward that the root might be the foundation of the people of Israel that we saw described back in chapter 9. Verse 4, this is Mm. the adoption to sonship, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. In other words, the root of this tree are God's promises to Israel. And so you really, really, really want to be part of this tree Mm. because you really, really, really want to benefit from the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. Just like how um, Paul says in verse 17 in chapter 11, you now share in the nourishing sap from this olive root. And so what is the benefit of being in the tree? It's it's salvation from sin, isn't it? Forgiveness of sins, relationship with God, a filling of the Holy Spirit, Mm. and and, and, um, being one with Christ. And so I think it is salvation. Yeah, so the question is saying, surely it's not salvation. You're saying, no, it actually most likely is. That's right, because uh, those branches who aren't regrafted in will uh, experience the, the, the judgment of God, yeah. you want to be in this tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and Paul's image here is he's taking wild shoots from, from somewhere else and he's grafting them into this beautiful, nourishing yes. kind of root, which is the promises that he made of salvation to the people of Israel. And he's saying, hey, come and, come and be a part of that. That's the gospel message, isn't That's it? That's right. Yeah. And I think pe- perhaps something that the question is getting at is this idea of, well, if it's salvation, then surely... Um, sorry, it can't be salvation because they were in and they were out. Mm. Well, that's our next question. Can I ask that? Yeah, let's yeah, get to okay, it. Okay. Um, doesn't it say in another part of the Bible that branches that are cut off will be thrown away and cast into the fire? Why does it say here that God will graft them back in? Yeah, that's right. And and uh, that other part of the Bible that the questioner is asking about is probably John 15 with yep. the image of the vine and the branches. Yep. Yep. Um, and the answer is yes, that the branches that are cut off are in that imagery with the vine and the branches... Uh, and here in Romans 11, with the olive tree and the branches, if they are cut off, uh, they will not be spared. As verse 21 says, if God mm. did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Mm. And so, yes, they, uh, the branches that are cut off will be thrown away and cast into the fire. And yet, one of the most amazing um, hopes we get from this passage is verse 23, that if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And so I think that we need to understand that Paul is using an image here. Um, God uh, is able to graft back in those branches that are cut off if they do not persist in unbelief. Mm. And so those who are saved aren't just those who express faith at one time or another. They are those who, using the language um, of the passage here in verse 22, continue in the kindness of God. Mm. 
Yeah, okay. So that's helpful. And maybe it's worth saying, setting something that might help us as we work through a few of these questions, um, which is that it, uh, Paul seems to move in Romans 9 to 11 from, to talking about this, these issues of who's in and who's out from a few different perspectives. So sometimes he's talking at it from the eternal decrees of God perspective, as God looks over all things from his eternal perspective. And, and Jack used the language on Sunday, James, of, of you know knowing whose name is written in the Lamb's mm. Book of Life. That doesn't back... It's not like God has got his eraser out and he's, right, he's rubbing names out and then, yeah. oh, wait, I'm going to write them back in as if he's responding to people's decisions. No, that, that is set and you're either in or you're out. There's, there's no one way or the other on that mm. perspective. But we don't see the world from that perspective. We see the world down on the ground, kind of uh, on our level, as we... Um, and what we see is people responding one way or another to the message of Jesus mm. and the gospel. Um, yeah. And we do see people for a time not believing, and then we see them believing. And um, that doesn't change their eternal status before the Lord, but it, there is a sense in which for a time they might be hard, and then they are softened and they become Christians. Yeah. and Or they might be in the tree and then out of the tree and then back in. And I think this image of the olive tree is... Uh, explaining that experience that we have on on the ground, isn't it? That God yes, yes. is is um, that, that there is a movement of people from out, in the tree to out to back in. Yes. Um, but that is not an illustration of how things are in God's eternal decrees. Is that is that a fair? I think so. Yeah, it's a yeah. helpful way, a helpful reminder. And we've seen this a number of times over the last few weeks, haven't we? Yeah. That Paul switches his perspectives and he goes back and forth. I think mostly. And tellingly, because he doesn't see a conflict between them. No, that's right. Those things are, are very, um, they sit beautifully side by side in Paul's mind. Um, and we sometimes go, ah, that's really hard. And that's where we're going to get to Romans 11 and say, you know, God's paths are ultimately beyond tracing out. Um, but yeah, that that's, seems to be. And, and one good question to ask yourself as you're reading Romans 9 to 11 is, which perspective am I dealing with? Mm, no, yeah. that's very helpful there. Yeah, because yeah, we can get confused if we just think it needs to be one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let, let's get moving along here then. Um, isn't the cliff sign analogy... Now, this wasn't yours, this was Jack's. Um, mm, mm. But isn't that cliff sign analogy a little bit off? Doesn't the idea that the cliff sign warns about something that is true that probably won't happen kind of dismiss the point that the Christian life is a struggle? Yeah, so I listened in to Jack's sermon, so I'm, I'm aware of the analogy, and I'll probably ask for, for your thoughts on this in just a sec. Yeah, sure. Um, but I don't think so, in the sense that... Um, the fact that the sign is there doesn't take away from the fact that if you don't ignore, if you ignore the sign, you'll fall off the cliff. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that we need to see how the sign um, in the analogy uh, plays into and feeds and helps the person not fall off the cliff. Mm. I don't think it's diminishing the fact. So now bring it to the Christian life. I don't think that these warnings are diminishing the fact that the Christian life is a struggle. Um, it's a real struggle, in mm. fact. Uh, but there's there's something amazing here in that God uses these warnings um, and the struggle to keep us mm. uh, faithful in Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I mean, you think about uh, the cliff sign, right? Um, that is a device that the council are implementing the, the local council who, who are trying to keep their residents safe uh, in order to keep people away from the cliff. Um, they, there are a couple of other ways that they could stick a massive hundred foot fence at the, at the top of every cliff um, uh, in order to stop you falling over the edge. Um, but it does, even a hundred foot fence doesn't take away from the fact that falling off the cliff is a, is a deadly thing to do. Um, mm. But their chosen means in this particular thing is a warning to say, stay away from the cliff. Yeah. And that's, and that warning 
is effective in keeping people away because yes. it, it says, hey, don't come near. Um, and so it is with God. God uses warnings as his chosen means to keep his people safe. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is that those who are truly God's people will hear those warnings, heed them, and will stay safe. Yeah. 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 Nice. Okay. Uh, let, let's keep moving along. Um, how much are the warnings in Romans 11 for individuals and how much are they for the whole cultures or peoples uh, described here? I assume it works on both levels. Yeah, I think on one level you could say it works on both levels. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yep, great. <laughs> but one of the things we need to say is that throughout this whole section in Romans 9 to 11, Paul's big point has been that, uh, that you know, just because you belong to the group of of God's people of Israel doesn't mean that you don't individually have responsibility to express your faith in Jesus and to follow him as your Lord. Um, And so if you think about Romans 11, the passage we were in, it's not that there's one Jewish branch and one Gentile branch. There are multiple branches. The difference is whether or not they were already part of the tree and were cut off or were part of a wild olive tree and were Mm. grafted in. Mm. And so... It works on individual level on an individual level because it's the branches that unbelieve or don't believe that are cut off, but it's the branches that continue in the kindness of God that do stay on. Mm. It's not those who are Gentiles who are all grafted in, yes. or those who are Jews who are all cut off. Yeah, that's helpful, James. So the point of the illustration of the olive tree is not just that um, Gentile that gent that gent- Jews make way for Gentiles in a whole, although that is true. Mm. Uh, but actually, that specific Jews, because of their their lack of belief, are cut off, while others remain. Yeah. Um, and believing Gentiles by faith are, are brought in. Mm. Um, and so the key, therefore, is about individuals and their having or not having faith. Yes. And so mm. it is. It does work on the whole, but we mustn't miss the individual warning for an individual. Do Do you trust in Jesus? That yeah. is the, the 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 thing that everything hinges upon. Romans ten verse nine. Do you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord? If you do, you'll you'll be grafted in and saved. That's right. So as the questioner said, it works on both levels. Yeah, it does. Yes. Yeah, nice. <laughs> okay. Now we're going to move on to a couple of more sort of theological questions around all sorts of things. Um, uh, yeah, so, so let's let's dive into some of those. Um, the first one is about Cain, back from the Old Testament, mm. Abel's brother Cain. Um, was he the first case of a hardened heart? And it's, they've noted it's interesting how he similarly envied his brother's blessings too. What, mm. do, what do you think, James? Yeah, it's interesting. I think you could make a case for that. Surely in the story we have reasons to think that Cain you know, saw the offering of Abel and, and may have had a particular feeling there. It's worth noting, though, that in the story in Genesis 4, it doesn't say that he envied him. It says that he was angered. Yeah. So anger seems to be the primary, shall we say, it's it's the, the textual um, yeah. emotion, uh, emotion yeah. Yeah, that is put forward here. And so I think you could make a case for it, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, is he the first? Maybe, but also, I mean, could you say that Adam and Eve's yeah, um, right. <laughs> hearts were hard as they disobeyed... Um, yeah, tricky, isn't it? Again, hardening isn't used at that point. The first mm. time hardening pops up is Esau and Jacob mm. um, in terms of the way it's described. Could you theologically make a case that there's hardening going on uh, even at the fall, even with Cain and Abel after the fall? Well, quite possibly, I think. Mm. But the text doesn't make that link. Um, yeah. But theologically, perhaps you can see um, God, God at work there. Mm. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, well, let, let's keep thinking hardening. Back to Pharaoh. He, Pharaoh just comes up every week. It's yeah. great. Um, in hardening Pharaoh's heart even further, did God judge Pharaoh to be beyond redemption by his own hardening? Um, so that's, again, remembering the story in Exodus where the Pharaoh refuses to let Israel go and, and Exodus uh, in a number of places speaks mm. of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's let's tackle this in two parts. So the first part, just thinking a bit about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Yes. I mean, in Exodus, we we see, you know, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Yep. Um, uh, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Yeah. And so um, it's there's an interesting part in Exodus chapter 10, though, that I always like going back to when thinking about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, because in uh, Exodus 10 verse 1, God says that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart and the hearts of his officials. Mm. But then after the plague of, um, well, after the announcement of, of the eighth plague um, of locusts is made, it's very interesting. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 7, Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Hmm. And so, wait a second. God hardened the hearts of Pharaoh and his officials, and yet, Six verses later, <laughs> the officials yes. turn, they change their minds, yes. and they side with Moses and Israel. Yeah. So I think we, we need to see that, yes, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It did make him more stubborn. Yeah. Um, and yet, what we see in Exodus is hints that even that was not beyond turning. The mm. officials ended up siding with with, uh, with um, Moses and, and Israel. Yeah. So Pharaoh alone becomes this lone kind of character in his stubborn refusal uh, to, to let Israel go. And, and part of that is one of the devices of the book of Exodus as to who's really the king. Is it Pharaoh the king mm. or is it the Lord the king? Yes. And it's like this 10-round boxing match that Pharaoh just gets, you know, destroyed by the Lord because he, yeah. um, God is God is God, not not Pharaoh. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. but so, so what about hardening there then? Um, so is it therefore that um, God judged him to be beyond redemption? Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because I think we need to say uh, yes and no. Okay. Because we need to say yes in the sense that in God's sovereign plan, you know, if we take from God's perspective, um, Pharaoh's hardening was uh, to show uh, God's glory Mm -hmm. and to lead to the salvation of Israel. Mm. And yet, could God have saved Pharaoh? Could God have recovered and redeemed Pharaoh? Mm. Well, yes. It's not as if a heart can be so hard and and beyond, you know, Mm. um, beyond saving. Yes. So it's not the case that God's looking at Pharaoh and going, Struth, I don't know how to solve this heart. This one's beyond me. I know I'll harden you because I I couldn't do anything else. I'll harden you and keep you in your unbelief so that I can judge you. Mm. Of course, God could have, if that were God's plan. There's no heart that God, God is God. He can do what he wants. Yeah. Um, and he could soften that heart if he wanted to, but his choice, and that's the argument of Romans 9, is that what if God, wanting to show his glory, hardens Pharaoh um, in order to, to display his might and his power and his glory? And that seems to be what God has done there. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so the, the words of Romans 11, that, that we have hope um, and that they're not fallen beyond recovery, they're mm. still true. That's right. That's right. Okay, let's keep moving along here. Um, why was hardening of hearts and particularly Israel's hearts necessary to spread God's word to the Gentiles surely God's word could be given to everyone without exclusions now there are a few questions like this um, and I won't read them all out but they're they're basically the why question why does God use hardening in his plans for salvation why not do it some other way Hmm. well I think the the short answer and 
in one sense, the hard answer okay. to the question is because God's ways are infinitely wiser than ours and, and his, his um, uh, plans and purposes are far better than we could possibly um, imagine. I think, yeah, we can look at it and go, why? Why, why this? Why that? And, you know, we, we might be able to put forward one or two hypothetical reasons, speculative reasons, but at the core of it, it's God's ways are far better. Another thing we might say is that from start to finish, the reason why God has done this is so that grace would be grace. Mm. You see, if God hadn't done things the way that it currently is, if maybe one nation could say, uh, or all nations could say, well, we all equally have access and there's no need to, to come to the Jewish Messiah. Uh, and, and um, you know, what's this hardening of hearts business? Now, all of us have an opportunity then we could boast. We might have a reason to think, well, I picked the right thing. I made the right decision. I worked out the right answers. And it would no longer be by grace. Mm. And so this really is God's sovereign mercy, his sovereign plan to show his sovereign mercy. Mm. And it is far better than any plan that we could come up with. Yeah, so so part of it is, is God almost ensuring that it is by grace because if it were just that God opens the door and says anyone who wants to come on in um, by their own fine. If you find the door, you come on in. Um, then you can go, hey, I found the door. Look at me. I've got something to boast about. Um, mm. But actually God hardens everyone. And that's, that's where we're going to end up this week, that God, God actually hands everyone over to disobedience. Um, chapter 11, verse uh, 32, I think that is, mm. so that he can have mercy. So, and, and I think that is part of God saying, I don't share my glory in salvation with anybody else. Mm. Um, I actually hand everyone over to disobedience. And so that it's very clear whenever anyone gets saved, who's responsible? Mm. God. It's yeah. all by grace. Yeah. 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 Helpful. All right. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. Um, the other thing I think to just note on that before we move on is um, one, of, one of the ways Paul's, Paul answers this question is, who are you to talk back to God? When we say, <laughs> why, why did you do it like this, God? He goes, well, because I'm God and, uh, and you're not. And often we're like, but I would have saved the world this way. Well, lucky it's not you. Um, <laughs> so. It is. Uh, it's, Paul has a way with words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, all right. Let, let's keep moving along. Um, how do we uh, apply this knowledge about Israel's future embracing of the gospel except to regard it as a sign of Jesus' return? And then there's another qu- another couple of questions here around uh, what form will their future conversion ta- uh, take and will it mark the end of the conversion of the Gentiles? Um, what can we see about the future in this passage? Well, I'm going to say come back this Sunday yeah. because I think that this idea, I mean, this amazing truth of the full inclusion mm-hmm. um, and the if there's a, a mass future conversion of ethnic Israel, uh, this is heavily relevant to this Sunday's passage as we round out mm. our series. Yeah. So come on back. I'd yeah, say. yeah. We're going to be talking about this on Sunday. I'll, I'll just gently flag. I, I don't think that is, I don't think Paul is necessarily saying that there is a, a mass future they call it the eschatological miracle that, that all of the, this massive outpouring of, of um, Jewish people coming into the kingdom. Now, God is free to do that if he likes. I just don't think that's necessarily what Paul is um, suggesting will happen. Mm. Um, but I always want to say God is God and it wouldn't be beyond him to show incredible mercy to lots and lots of people, of course. But I just don't think that's necessarily the right way to read what we're going to read. But come on Sunday and we'll dig into it together. And you can ask me all your questions for next week on the extras. And um, yeah, that's good. good. All right, let, let's get moving. Um, <clears throat> when we talk about um, the elect and hardened hearts, 
We're talking about people who've heard, uh, who have heard the gospel. What does the Bible say about a third group, those who haven't heard the gospel? Has God chosen some that will never hear the gospel? Hmm. Uh, there are a few things going on here. Let's look at that first part, which is, you know, when we talk about elect and heart on hearts, we're talking about people who have heard the gospel. Hmm. Um, are we? Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I don't think that we can say that as clearly. I guess it depends on which of those perspectives we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, that's right? it. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's worth saying that it, I don't think it is a given that all of the elect are those who have already heard the gospel. Hmm, because elect from God's perspective yeah. are elect from before the creation of the world. Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. That's right. Um, and also, yeah. I think the language of hardened hearts, I mean, maybe in, in Romans at 9 to 11, I think it does primarily refer to. Um, Israel, who have rejected absolutely, Messiah. yeah. Um, but we also could apply the language of hardening uh, to to those who may not have heard the gospel mm. yet, but mm. will one day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So again, it, I think it depends on which perspective yeah. you're thinking from. If you're thinking from God's eternal perspective, there are those who elect and those who are not, and they are set. Um, from before the creation of the world, regardless of their response to the gospel, from a responding to God's word, which, in, as you just said, is is the focus of Israel's, you know, what what's happened to Israel in these particular chapters. Yes, they have heard the gospel mm. and are hardened to it. Um, yes, and uh, you've just got to be thinking which which perspective am I am I thinking from here? Yes, yes, um, yeah. So then the the I think the main part of the question is what does the Bible say about a third group, those yeah. who haven't heard the gospel, has God chosen that some will never hear the gospel? Mm. And I think there are a few things to say here. First of all, is that in, in earlier in Romans, we've already seen how, for example, in Romans 1, um, God's invisible attributes are clearly perceived, and yet all um, reject the glory of God and replace Him. We don't give Him the thanks and praise and honor that He deserves. Mm-hmm. We replace Him for um, creatures. Mm. And in Romans 2, we see that even those who do not have the law, mm. um, uh, by nature, do things that are required by the law, showing that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And yeah. so, there's a knowledge of God that extends to all humanity, mm. enough to condemn us. Mm. But, I don't think that there's knowledge of God in terms of the saving content of the gospel yes. that's given to everyone enough to save us. Yeah. Yep. So, to answer your question, yes, I, I do think that there are um, are those who, um, or clearly there are those who haven't heard the gospel, mm. and there are those who will never hear the gospel yep. as well, which is really hard, isn't it? It is hard, yeah. Well, it's certainly hard if you think about it from, from a, if, if humans are the center of everything, yeah, yeah. We, we feel that's really um, even, yes. even unfair. And yet God always reminds us that, that grace is not something that he owes anybody. By definition, it's By, undeserved. It's right. right. Yeah. So he, God gives everyone what they deserve, which is all have rejected him, all have turned away, and he owes nobody anything. And he, if, he, if you get his justice alone, you, you get what you deserve. Mm. Um, the whole definition of grace is that God saves some. Yeah. And, uh, and praise God that he saved you and me. Um, and then I think as we were looking at like last week in Romans, which is he then gives us this message and says, how beautiful are your feet? Yeah. You know, are you going to, what are you going to do with the, the good news that you've got? Are you going to send and preach and share and go? And, uh, and again, I, I just want to gently encourage us as a church to be people with beautiful feet, to, mm. to think, um, how can I go? And not just to my friends and people, I, go to them, but Will, would I even go somewhere else? Would I go to a people who are not my own? Would I go to strangers? Would I go to the nations with the message? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right.
let, let us continue. Uh, James, so can we still use the phrase once a Christian, always a Christian? Is it true? And uh, what are the exceptions to this phrase? There are a few others connected to this, you know, uh, all around assurance, um, because I think sometimes with this hardening language, um, people go, ah, does that undermine my assurance? I thought it was once saved, always saved. Is it? Is it? Well, I think that slogans are usually trying to communicate something. Okay. Um, And as a slogan, you know, once a Christian, always a Christian, once saved, always saved, it's trying to uh, communicate something really helpful, isn't it? The Mm -hmm. idea that... Um, I, as I think, maybe the, the founders of the slogan, whoever <laughs> yep, wrote it, yep. the, this idea that, you know, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that mm. is a promise to cling to and to know that, um, you know, we're in the hands of our good shepherd. Mm. Um, and yet, I do think it's a reductionistic phrase that can do more harm than good. Mm, okay, tell me uh, that, about that. Well, the profession of faith, we know from the Bible, is something that many people can, can make. And yet, what determines whether you are one of God's elect, what determines whether you will be a new creation with our Lord Jesus, is if you persist in the faith, not Mm. just if you profess. I mean, using the language of Romans 11, it's if you continue in the kindness of God. And um, on Sunday, I um, brought up the parable of the sower. Uh, as, as, as a way of illustrating this, in that, you know, you've got your four soils in the Mark chapter 4. Only one of them doesn't respond to God's word. Mm. Three of them do. And yet, of the three, the rocky soil represents people who, you know, express joy and, and faith in God's word, and yet, because of persecution and, and hardship, will fall away. Yeah. The thorny soil are those who profess faith and, and respond to God's word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and thinking about other things will choke it. Mm. It's only the fourth soil, the good soil, the one that not only grows uh, and responds to faith, but then grows 30, 60, 100 times. Yeah. That's the good soil. Yeah, okay. It's the one who persists and keeps on going. And so, once a Christian, always a Christian, what it neglects is the fact that you need to profess faith and continue in it mm. and struggle and push through yeah. and stay committed to Christ. Yeah. Uh, and um, and that is what is so important. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, I mean, maybe this will help us to, I'll dive into the next question here, because um, I think this is sort of getting us onto this track, which is, does this mean we can never be sure of our own election unless we hold our faith right to the last second before we meet the Lord? And uh, follow up to that is, can we know that we are truly elect? I think the answer is yes. I, I, to, the, to the second part, um, not the first part, mm. the second part of can you know that you're truly elect? I mean, you know, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter writes about um, making every effort to confirm your calling and election. That's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, mm. verse 10. May, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And Romans 8, we, we um, see, you know, the Spirit testifying um, that we are children of God. And so I think you can. Now, how? How can you? Well, there's a few things going on here. One is the Spirit testifying to you, that that inward uh, testimony, that inward um, assurance that you have that, yeah, you know what? I I am following Jesus. I do believe God raised him from the dead. I am declaring that he is my Lord. Mm. So I I know that I'm one of God's people and I'm seeking to submit my life to him. Yep, yep. But also going back to Romans 8 and Mark 4, 
well, what's going on with the good soil? It's that it continues. It keeps growing 30, 60, 100 fold. Yeah. Romans 8, it's that by the Spirit, you are putting to death the misdeeds of the flesh. 2 yeah. Peter chapter 1, you are adding to your faith godliness. And yeah. so I think one of the ways you can know that you're truly elect is mm. not only that you profess faith, but that you're continuing in the faith, continuing to grow mm. in the faith. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, and so, you know, we, we are some of the worst judges of our own godliness. <laughs> yep, yep. The more we grow as a Christian, the more we realize just how sinful we are. Yep. And so, uh, don't think that your own opinion of yourself is the absolute. Maybe yeah, get a friend yeah, yeah. or a that growth helpful. Yep. Uh, leader to yep. help you out here. But if there's evidence of growth, if there's mm. evidence of, of struggling with sin, if there's yep. evidence of putting sin to death and seeking to grow in godly character, yep. brother, sister, you're elect because mm. God is helping you to continue in the kind in His kindness. No, so progress in the faith is one one way that we can sort of see evidence. Um, but that progress is is all hinging on um, a response to the gospel message yes. at, its, at its heart. And and I think that's helpful to, to note as well. And it's made me think of a little a little um, story I heard, um, and I'll, I'll share it in a minute. But um, because I think sometimes as we deal with Romans nine to eleven, we start thinking, well, how can I know? Like I, I want to know my assurance, and I and I love it to be based on my knowledge of is my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Yeah, um, looking yeah. for God's perspective on it, which is not what God um, reveals to us. Mm. Um, what he, he he knows whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but he says you can know that you are saved if you trust in Jesus. That's the that the Romans ten verse nine. If you, yes, um, confess with your lips, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. There's there's your basis for assurance. And what it reminded me of, James, is the story of um, uh, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, mm. who um, uh, tells tells the story um, of a day he was walking through London, and a man noticed him. He was a well known preacher at the time, and a man noticed him in the street and called out to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I have a message from the Lord for you, a word from God. And um, Spurgeon said, uh, I don't want to hear it, mm. which is fascinating, right? <laughs> you, you think, surely you'd want to know. Don't want to hear from God? Says, don't tell me the message. And the man says, no, no, I must tell you. Uh, my conscience tells me that I must speak this word to God from you. And uh, Spurgeon says, well, I don't want to hear it, but you, you, know, you do what your conscience says you've got to do. And so the man says to Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm. And uh, Spurgeon, now what, what would you do in that moment? But I'd go, yeah! Well, no, so what Spurgeon did is he rounded on the man. He was furious. And he yeah. says, how dare you say that to me? He said, such that my assurance would be put in your word rather than in the gospel promise. Yes. For what God gives to me is, a, is an offer which says, trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. And you're now uh, calling me to put my faith in, in a... Uh, you know, a word from God that you've given to me to trust something other than God's own word, which is that those who trust in Jesus will be saved. Mm. And I've that story's always stuck with me because I think often we are looking for that other word, aren't we? Mm. I just wish someone would tell me it's okay. Um, I can stop worrying about this now. I yes. can stop. But actually, the whole thrust of Romans nine to eleven is. Um, approach God fearfully and uh, meekly and with real reverence, uh, knowing the sternness and kindness of God and keep my trust in the gospel word, which says, if I trust in Jesus, I'll be saved. Yeah, no, yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah, it's that's a great story. Yeah. is more godly than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. guess just to round out this section, it's yeah. worth saying, you know, can we say once a Christian, always a Christian? I'd say probably don't because yeah. it doesn't it doesn't achieve what you want it to. If you mm. want someone to be encouraged 
you know, read the words of scripture to them. Yeah. You know, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, but also, uh, don't try to let people think, um, and don't try to put forward the idea that just professing faith mm. um, is is what's going to get you through to the end. That the Christian life is more complicated than that. Yeah, Our yeah. stories are far more complex than yeah. that. Yeah. In fact, there are people who um, I know who are listening right now, and, and people who um, are up here at St. Paul's, who's you know saying that phrase, once saved, always saved, it doesn't match with their stories, because mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking about one person in particular who you know was in church for most of their life, and then walked away for two years, mm. and then came back, and they're like, well, what was going on there? Like, what? And what they realized is actually, no, I don't think, even though I had professed faith, I don't think I genuinely believed in Jesus mm. at that point. But when you say once saved, always saved, then that ex- that experience doesn't make sense to them anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now we are we're going to pick up the pace here, James, and I'm I'm <laughs> going to say let's do 14, but let's do it quick. Um, Paul speaks of Israel, and Israel was established as a nation in 1947. Uh, what's the connection between the nation of the first century called Israel and the nation created in the 20th century, also called Israel? I think it's worth saying that when Paul wrote uh, Romans, he was particularly thinking about the people of Israel who are descended from Abraham. Yeah, and that's what I want to say about that. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> so it's not it's not a geographical nation; it's a ethnic descent uh, who's descended from Israel. And Paul himself didn't live in the land of Israel; he's yeah, from Turkey right, himself. Yes. So. Um, he's an Israelite, but he didn't live in the land. He uh, he was a, it's an ethnicity. Um, yeah. It's like saying I'm Chinese. You know, you live in Sydney, you live in Vancouver, you're Chinese, uh, but yeah, it's about your ethnicity. That's it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, now, fifteen. How do we fear God? Mm. Yeah. So this is probably picking up on the trembling language from mm. Romans eleven. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. I think it is about considering the kindness and sternness of God. It's mm. not about fearing that if you're a Christian, you're going to be condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But it is about recognizing you only stand before God by faith, mm. not because of your awesomeness, not because of your righteousness. And we don't do it flippantly. Mm. It's about respecting that God is a consuming fire, yeah. that he is stern and kind. Yep. And so I think it's about having a right attitude to God, not taking him lightly, but taking him rightly. Nice. Hey, there you go. That rhymed. No, nice. No, it's, a, it's a slogan. Careful. Don't, don't, uh... <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take 16 as done uh, and uh, push on to 17. Sure. Um, how could we distinguish between people who are elected but currently hard-hearted and people perhaps who look and act Christian but aren't actually elect therefore could christians then date people who perhaps look and act like a non-christian in the hope that they are actually elect Mm. there's a sneaky little uh (laughs) so if i can't tell from the outside maybe they are and maybe therefore it's fine for me to date them all right let's do this in parts all right right, (laughs) so first part we'll do relatively quickly yep how do we distinguish we can't we we don't know that god knows right god is the one who sees people's Yep. Parts and so uh, you know if there was a way in which we could go oh you know if they they've got a spot behind their left ear they're, they're elect they're elect right yep. it would make yep. it very easy yeah it wouldn't be by grace then right okay. um, so I think the the answer to the first part is I don't think we can uh, using our eyes from our mm. perspective tell the difference between those 
uh, who are elect and aren't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get to the second part. So therefore, now. then, if I can never know what's the point in dating a Christian, because they might not be elect. Yeah, right. Well, uh, God's word, Sam. Okay. Um, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, James. Yep, yep. No, help me out here, though. Yeah, so... Um, let's, let's just get a few verses out in the open. So first of all, 1 Corinthians 7, mm-hmm. uh, verse 39. Um, mm. It's a section where Paul is saying that if, if a woman's husband dies and she wants to remarry, yep. she's free to do so. But, verse 39, um, the man he marry, uh, she marries must belong to the Lord. Okay, so there's someone who gets to choose their partner. Because yeah. um, often you didn't in the ancient world. But yes. if you, in this case where you do get to choose your partner... They must belong to the Lord. Yeah, that's okay. right. And so, and and this is constant throughout the the, the Bible, which is that God's people are to be. Uh, uh, if you do want to marry, and you don't need to, but if mm-hmm. you do want to marry, you mm-hmm. you should marry one of God's people. Yeah, right. Um, yep. And so, to answer this question, like if you're thinking about uh, dating a non-Christian or dating a Christian, well, yep. what's dating for if if you want to take it seriously, it, it's for marriage, isn't it? Yeah, it's to see, could I marry this person? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And so one reason not to do it is because God's word says <laughs> to marry a Christian if you are a Christian. Okay. Um, I guess secondly, it's worth saying, you know, to that objection, oh, well, what if, you know, I don't really know what will happen with this person. I guess one thing I'd want to say there is, yes, that's true, which is why you don't want to just marry someone who professes to be a Christian. Mm. You want to marry someone who is clearly growing as a Christian, yeah, nice. committed, yep. continuing yep. on, yep. sort of that uh, a good soil. Looking for God. some of the evidence and the, the fruitfulness of, of faith. Yeah, yep. that's right, because yep. it's not just about having the label. I mean, if, if I can put it on one level um, superficially, the reason why is because you want someone who shares your priorities, mm. shares your values mm-hmm. of things that matter the most. And as I say that, I realize that's not superficial at all, actually. Mm. That is profound. Totally. If you fundamentally disagree about your destination, yeah. about the future and what you should focus on in life, yeah, yeah. it will make marriage incredibly difficult. Totally. Yep. Yeah. And often people are thinking, well, if I date them... I could, it's missionary dating. I, yeah, I could see them come into the kingdom of God. Um, but I think they, I think you're actually undermining yourself because if you really want this person to see that you are serious about your faith and that they might share what you have, the best thing you can do right from the outset is say to them, hey, there is something really important to me that, in fact, it's more important than everything mm. and it is my faith in Jesus such that I don't think I'd be keen to date you because you don't have what I what is most important to me. Mm. Um, and if you go, yeah, yeah, let's let's get going, let's um, and hope somewhere down the track to tell them, they're going to see well clearly Jesus isn't all that important to you. Therefore, it doesn't matter all that much, and they don't need to take it all that seriously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I would say um, actually now. God is sometimes gracious, and, and I've seen one instance, can I just say, in 20 plus years of ministry, I've seen one instance of missionary dating working well. Um, good friend of mine, actually. But uh, many, 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 many other instances, I've seen the person who began as a Christian dating a non-Christian drift away and become hardened mm. uh, to the message because it's kind of like someone standing on a chair. It's easier to pull someone off the chair than it yeah. is to lift the other person up onto the chair. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I... I just, I think it, what it constantly indicates is Christianity doesn't matter to me all that much. And the, and the non-Christian partner says, well, great, it doesn't matter to me either. Yeah. And let's have it not matter together. Yeah, that's right. Just one story we're sharing. Yeah, there's a good friend of mine who was a non-Christian mm. and he was dating a Christian and she broke up with him because yeah. she said, I need to take my faith seriously. Yeah. And he 
in his testimony, wow. says that that compelled him to check yeah, out go. Christianity. Because it was so, such a big deal. That's right. She, because she clearly liked him. Yeah. And he clearly liked her. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and he ended up coming to St. Paul's, actually, and hey, um, there became you go. a Christian. So there's missionary dating working by a missionary breaking up. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's your answer, right? So, yeah. Um, anyway, let, let's keep moving along. Uh, last question. Uh, uh, talking about... One of the applications was uh, about people uh, wanting what the the saved people have. Uh, Mm. How do we make the Christian life enviable while being real about the struggles of life and faith? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's worth saying that I don't think it's necessarily about making your the circumstances of your life enviable. Okay. Um, you think about Paul for a second, right? Paul says he does his ministry in the hope that hmm. it will arouse the, the, the Jews to, to envy. But By Paul, prison sentences, yeah. beatings, floggings, stonings, shipwrecks, yeah, that's and right. homelessness. That's right. And, come and have what come and have the good life. <laughs> and so I don't think it's necessarily it's not about the circumstances of your of okay. your life being, you know, struggle free. Yeah. Rather, what is it that in the midst of all of that, Paul had a hope Mm. that went beyond himself. He had a relationship with God that was rock solid. He knew who he was in Christ. He had the forgiveness of sins. He had confidence in the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's, It's sort of like what Jack was saying on Sunday in that, for example, his dad looking at him and saying, there's something different about the way you live. Yeah. It's not necessarily this, you know, Jack's not living at large, you know, sure, like yeah, rich yeah. and everything. Yeah. Oh, I want that. It's, it's, it's something deeper. Yeah. And so even, I think it's even in the struggles of the Christian yeah. life and faith. Yeah. Showing people that there is something better, nice. stronger, far more profound. Yeah. So it's about, it's about your purpose and about your hope. Um, and about your secu- kind of eternal security that you have more so than it is about having a life that's all together and then thinking, well, I want that because that seems like such a happy life. Yes. Now, there, there is a deep gladness and joy that comes from the Christian life, but it's not circumstantial. Yes. It's about, it's about knowing God and, and therefore it can be quite honest, which says even though I'm finding circumstances quite hard, I have a, a hope and a joy that is beyond myself um, and that is a very attractive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah nice thanks Beautiful. thanks Sam alright well that'll do us for today uh, we are more or less at the end of our of our time and uh, we quickly this week we're going to hit Romans chapter 11 the last bit I'm preaching uh, oh look at this a, a coffee is walking through as we wrap up thank you Caleb <laughs> hello, that's hello. very good you can say hi to the podcast and uh, he's bringing bringing flat whites that's that's a you're, you've been trained well as an MTSer mate well done um we, uh, we're finishing up our series looking at this uh, comment that Paul has that all Israel will be saved. Yeah, what does that mean, Sam? Oh, come along on Sunday and I'll, I'll uh, lay it all out for us, God willing. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to wrestling through that with you. It's been a great time in Romans. Uh, thanks for your work, James, uh, last week. And uh, we will see you all at church this coming Sunday.